Hello. Hello. I don't so, know why I sang that. That was a good song. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, okay, so we're doing another Tudor one. We haven't done enough of these, really. We're just avoiding it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, not avoiding it. Tudors is fun. You've yeah, just got to that's have true. it in bite-sized chunks. Yes. We just need to do a bit more. We yeah, true. To, we need to sort it out. So we're going down the really exciting route today. Brace yourselves, all people who listen. Because we're going to go down the route of Henry VII foreign policy. Which I do think is a, a one that could come up. Because it hasn't actually come up on the it A level. It hasn't. And only AS. It, it could be an alright essay if it were to come up. You just need to know your stuff. Yeah. As always. Really. I, I, mean, I think no, you no, say that every time. It's a bit like me and my structural integrity joke that I keep cracking. Yeah, that is pretty rubbish. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's not even funny. Um, so, Henry VII, foreign policy. Let's start off with what are his aims in foreign policy? Okay. Well, the three aims are um, he wants recognition of his dynasty, Mm -hmm. a trade, and national security. Yeah, so the three things, if he wants recognition as a usurper, he needs other countries to recognise that he is in fact the rightful ruler and has a legitimate claim. Um, He also needs good trade, because obviously he needs people to have money, because if they've got money, they're not going to get rid of him. But also, trade would follow on from like War of the Roses, the fact that... um, it's a ruined economy. He needs money. He needs to sort it out. True, but you can't deny the more money people have in their pockets, the less likely they are to go, he's a rubbish king, we don't like him. That's true. But he's sorting out their issues by giving them money. Indeed. Um, so then that ties into national security as well. If By recognising his dynasty, they're not going to invade him at any time. And he really doesn't want to have to deal with that right no, now. No, that's too much for him. He's a very busy man, Henry VII. He needs to secure the Tudor dynasty. That's How's priority got time number one. to be fighting wars? Priority number one. Um, so foreign policy is a dangerous thing for Henry, and it's also really important. So um, mainly because he's got so many threats. Now, you'll remember, as a usurper... He's mainly got domestic problems that he thinks at any stage someone will come along, kill him and take his crown. That's yeah. pretty bad. Yeah, uh, and those people are most likely going to be Yorkist supporters. Yes, and there are a lot of them abroad, not only in England, but also just hiding in countries and plotting his demise. My favourite being Margaret of Burgundy. Well, she's not hiding, but... She's not hiding, but she is a wonderful individual who hates him with a passion. Yeah, she really is a thorn in his side. She is... Go on, tell us more about Mob, Margaret of Burgundy. Margaret of Burgundy. She's a dowager duchess, favourite word, essentially meaning she's a widower to the Duke of Burgundy. And he was known, was he he Charles the Bold or Charles the Handsome? Either way, when you look at the portrait, he doesn't really I think he's both, isn't he? Is he? Have you seen the portraits? Um, I think you're thinking of a different Charles. No, I'm thinking Philip the Handsome. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Um... Anyway, yeah, sorry. And so she's following on from his um, legacy, I guess, and is helping Maximilian, yeah, um, rule Burgundy and his Holy Roman Empire. So she's got connections. She's got real connections, and it's also a really rich country. If you remember, that's a lot of where the wool and cloth and things like this as well. So he needs. Um, Burgundy. What about the wool and cloth? So, uh, so much about wool and cloth because it's just the best part of the entire Tudor yeah. unit. Tell me more. Uh, t- um, there's cloth. <laughs> there's trade there. There's trade and they trade in cloth and everyone likes cloth. And, and there's money in cloth. Yeah, okay, I think that's all you need. Right, to that's all you need, roughly. really. Um, so yeah, she's Yorkist. She's actually part of that royal family. She is isn't Richard she? III's sister. She is, and she hates Henry. And, and is upset that he died in such horrible circumstances. Upset is a slight understatement. Very upset. Very traumatised. Traumatised by the whole thing. And she just hates Henry mm. so much, and all those Tudors. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, then we've got France. Yep. Uh, biggest military, wealthiest country in Europe, doing really well. If you remember, England and France always hate each other. So this is the biggest threat that's out there in Europe for Henry. Yeah, he's got to keep them on side really as much as possible. Or fight them. Or fight them. Which, like we said before, not really his favourite. No. Um, Spain? Well, Spain's a difficult one because it's only just unified at the time of Henry Seventh, And you remember the kind of Castile and Aragon, pretty sure I'm saying all of these wrong, you, no, are unified well under Ferdinand and Isabella. Isabella? Isabella and Ferdinand. Ferdinand of? Aragon. Isabella of? Castile. Well done. Thank you. Um, so, so that's good. Yeah, New Kingdom, very powerful. If you remember, they have both ruling at the same time and using kind of, what is it, their thrones are exactly the same height? So that, that what am I thinking? Am I thinking of Isabella then? I don't know. Either way, new country, powerful, lots looking of resources. For alliances. Looking for alliances, looking for stability. Um, then we've got Ireland. Always a pain, but but well, not always a pain. That sounds really wrong there. <laughs> um, so control over Ireland is limited. It's to the pale, um, which is just outside of Dublin. You go outside the pale and you'll die. Yeah, that's where the phrase beyond the pale may have come from. That's a very old phrase. I don't think anyone will be familiar with beyond the pale. Um, like grandmas. Do you believe that? Grandmas. Irish grandmas. I'm pretty sure everyone knows it whatever uh so we've got in ireland in the pale there are nobles who are running things for him um one of the more prominent ones is the earl of kildare yeah he's like the lord commander or something fitzgerald's yeah gerald fitzgerald very irish i mean you're never gonna forget that name. you're never gonna forget that name and um, we've also got scotland which is always a pain in the side of england as well you've been very critical of all these places i am indeed henry would have been yeah so I'm going to take that route. Uh, Scotland a threat, obviously, with the old alliance uh, with France. At any stage, they could use this kind of pincer movement to attack England. Yeah, interesting pincer. Yeah, I get it. I see the the hand movements. Explain it all for me. Um, yes, and then Brittany. Tell us more. You could argue is his only ally, really. Yeah, and France to... to an extent because of where he was exiled but with so few allies comes quite a lot of problems because obviously as a usurper um, this is an opportunity for pretenders to take advantage yeah and with pretenders you've got this merging of domestic and foreign policy problems because these guys then pretend to be someone who can claim to the throne and work up this kind of support all around Europe yeah they manipulate their um, the situation for Henry VII and take advantage on an international level um, because internationally those countries when they don't really know who Henry VII is see this as an opportunity oh perhaps I'll support this guy I don't know anything about the new king so I'll support this pretender yeah and there are two major pretenders during the time of Henry Simnel is more domestic problems um, but I with a bit think, of Ireland with a there. bit of Ireland thrown in there so you've got this idea of he is pronounced king of Ireland awkwardly by the you know the Earl of Kildare that then gets a slap wrist saying you probably shouldn't have done that Fitzgerald um I hope the conversation went like that yeah I think it was probably more like so I know all of Ireland what are you gonna do about it and then Henry went okay do you just stay there but don't do it again no he, he was way meaner with them calculated mercy and all that well, uh, so we had Simnel, um, who is more domestic, as we've just said. And the biggest threat is Perkin Warbeck, who has lovely legs. Apparently. Lovely legs. That's why he got to be Richard of York. Yeah. Because he was so handsome and noble-like. 
Um, he kind of sounds to me like a bit of um, like a, a celeb fiend. Yes. Yeah. Just like, wants to be famous. Yeah, with lovely calves. Apparently. Well, um, more of a threat with Perkin Warbeck, not only because of his lovely legs, but also he gains international recognition of Margaret of Burgundy, recognises him and says, oh yeah, I know him, I'd know him anywhere. And that adds to the threat of him because it legitimises this claim that this random person has. Um, He pretends to be Richard of York, which if he is Richard of York, gives him a better claim to the throne than Henry VII. So it makes him really dangerous. Yeah. Um, So probably the biggest issue that he has to deal with in terms of foreign policy I think yeah because Warbeck likes to travel around and gain attention and get people to look at him yeah seven years that he's got to try and figure out where on earth he is and, and what to do about him and that then you can say follows on in terms of the treaties because that is really what um, underlies most of the treaties is trying to ascertain where Warbeck is and to try and get countries yeah. to stop supporting yeah. him cut off any connection that he might have or any significance that he might have in the first place as well so should we move on and look at some treaties yeah i think we should okay right so first one we can have a look at is medina del campo yeah i think a spanish treaty uh signed in 1489 and is ratified in 1490 which basically means it takes ages to be passed through and it drags on and on and on the medina del campo i think probably because ferdinand and henry are both like trying to one-up each other trying to get very as much out of it as possible savvy individuals very frugal yeah so no one really wants to spend any money they don't want to waste any time and they think they're better than each other don't yeah they? so they're kind of in competition with each other as well which is strange considering this is such an important treaty um it gives henry trade alliances but most importantly it's that marriage between catherine of aragon and arthur yeah um, but again, that's quite long-winded. Um, we have all the issues that occur yep. when they're trying to confirm it and sort out the diary. Yeah, and Ferdinand then... gets worried about Perkin Warbeck floating around, showing off his lovely legs, so yeah. delays the wedding. Then there's this issue with the dowry that Henry wants more money. And then it gets worse in 1502 when Arthur dies, and that ruins this marriage alliance. It really well, it annoys Ferdinand, and it annoys Henry VII that it breaks the treaty completely. Not cr- completely, but... Certainly yeah. messes things up, makes it more complicated. Yeah, I mean, annoyed is probably also devastated by the death of his son. But in terms of the treaty, <laughs> true, true. Oh, I shouldn't laugh at that. But um, yeah, then it gets worse though, doesn't it? Even it, worse. Yeah. So Henry and Ferdinand haven't got the greatest relationship anyway, and then it's made really worse when well, what happens? Well, Isabella of Castile dies. It she does two years after Arthur, um, and then there becomes this kind of power struggle in Spain of well who takes the throne now because these two kingdoms were unified in the marriage with Isabella now gone but she'd um, left Castile to Juana debatable whether she has Ferdinand says the whole kingdom is his Isabella says or at least there's as proclaimed that she's left it to a daughter Juana and that's what Juana thinks Hannah Juana thinks that as well and it is also fortuitous for her, I guess, but not so much for Ferdinand, is that she's married to Philip of Burgundy. Indeed. Now, Philip of Burgundy has got, like, an amazing royal line, hasn't he? Mm. And the marriage between them is, like, the superpower alliance. Yeah, so whatever children they have will then have links to the Holy Roman Empire, Spain, and Burgundy. Mm -hmm. The only place they wouldn't is France. Yeah. 
so it's pretty powerful so yeah. obviously Henry VII sees this as well this is probably the budding alliance that I need to make Ferdinand's no longer significant it looks like I've got to prioritise Philip and Juana yeah and luckily for him Philip and Juana well they, they, their boat sinks yeah off the coast of England happens to be so he kind of captures them wouldn't call it kidnaps but certainly almost taken hostage yeah, in a very nice way yeah in a nice way he probably gives them food and then he's like oh well, I'd hope he gives know. them food they're there for quite some time yeah but then also part of that deal is you can have food but you must sign this treaty with me yeah I'll let you go and fix you. but he boat. gives them an alright deal I'll fix your boat you get some food but I want this treaty and they go well, we've had your food it's alright but we also want something else and we'd like to leave and we would like to leave at some stage yeah. but they probably say it in in Spanish yeah and then we have the intercursus Malus that is um, on top of the intercursus Magnus that he'd already um, signed with Burgundy after having a bit of an embargo yeah going on because of a shenanigans with Perkin Warbeck shenanigans um, so then you've got the intercursus Malus which is great for Henry yeah um, which is part of the Treaty of Windsor um, because it pretty much just says he doesn't have to pay any taxes on anything importing or exporting and obviously they're like right yeah. sure and this is the sweet this. deal that he gets out of it whereby he makes loads of money which is why it's malice because it's bad for the people of Burgundy because they it's get a, good a way rubbish deal it. malice bad yeah but um, the As other thing that comes out of that treaty what else would you say well you've also got that part of that treaty of Windsor is that Henry has to recognise Juana as the rightful heir to Spain and he kind of backs this power couple he thinks right he's going to put all his eggs in the basket of these guys um, so he does and that goes against kind of this alliance that he had with Ferdinand um, but he's willing to take the risk because he believes that's where the power's going to be there's a marriage alliance in there isn't there as well with Philip's sister oh there is isn't there with Henry because his wife had died like a year earlier yeah so there's negotiations that maybe Henry himself could get another marriage alliance and Philip's thinking she's never going to agree to this but I'll just sign it so I can leave yeah. and warn her about it desperately go home yeah mm. um, so then all of these things when it gets back to Ferdinand's going to be pretty cheesed off yeah and he gets quite angry and refuses to join any treaties or leagues with Henry and leaves him out and makes him feel bad they all have parties and leave him out yeah and Henry's just getting more and more alienated meanwhile Catherine of Aragon's still sat in England going so yeah. what's going to happen to me yeah she's kind of locked in a tower for a bit isn't she yeah she's not with a great everyone look. forgets about her um, things don't really then... get better there's, we're moving back towards Medina del Campo we yeah. go, okay well maybe Catherine of Aragon can marry my other son Henry Ferdinand refuses to yeah. allow this to happen whilst Henry the Seventh is alive yeah never on his terms so whilst it doesn't happen whilst Henry the Seventh is alive it does in the end so there are quite a lot of strengths with the Medina del Campo true but Ferdinand only allows it because Henry the Seventh is dead yeah mm. he had to die he over his dead die. body exactly literally. over my yeah. his dead body his dead body yeah. not my Anyway, so we've kind of uh, well, we've got one other one. I forgot about that. Then well, there's, there's a couple, I guess, within that. So a nice French duo of treaties. Mm-hmm. You've got um, the situation in Brittany. The Brittany crisis is probably the first thing that Henry the Seventh has yeah. to deal with um, in terms of foreign policy. Arguably one of the most important. Yeah, there's loads of loads of stuff you can talk about. Yeah, with this one, it shows you a lot about his priorities in foreign policy. Yeah, so. Um, and of Brittany, he feels that he's got a bit of a, a responsibility towards Yeah, it he's because, got a link with Brittany, hasn't he? Yeah, because of where he like, yeah. grew up in exile. Um, feels that he should help her out because her father's died and um, she's now under direct threat from France. They would like to consume Brittany. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he initially has to raise some taxes through the Treaty of Redon to get um, some troops over there to help Anne. Um, yeah, she he, pays for that. I was going to say, he's pretty clever with the Treaty of Redon, whereby he gets her to promise to pay for all the troops, and so he's not going to have to spend a single penny on it, which is pretty clever and very Henry VII way of dealing yeah, with it. Yeah, all about the finances. Mm-hmm. So sends them over, and unfortunately doesn't really work out. No. And Anne has to marry yeah. Charles. Um, but he's got all these troops over in France, and being so savvy, Henry VII was like, well, I'm not just going to go home. I might as well just see what else I can get out of this. Um, and decides to um, seize Boulogne because his spies tell him that France will um, not appreciate you doing that and will probably give you a load of money to go home and then you don't have to pay for your troops to go home. Result? Um, And that's exactly what happened. Um, And they offer a a sizable chunk of money to go away Mm -hmm. and um, leave Boulogne um, in return for pension, which makes up 10% of his income. Yeah, isn't it something in the region of like £133,333? Yeah, something like that. 45000 crowns. Yeah. Uh, 50,000 crowns a year. And it works out, yeah, it's it's a sizable chunk of money that he gets from the Treaty of Atarples. Yeah. Um, and part of the Treaty of Atarples, again, was not only that he got this money, but also that France agreed not to recognise any pretenders. Yeah, so again, Perkin Warbeck pretenders again yeah. popping up. And that was one of the things that came through the Medina del Campo as well. Yeah. Um, so again, some common themes there. And also the Treaty of Windsor. Wasn't there a Delapole return? There was, yes. There so, was indeed. You know. But I say not a pretender, but it's certainly recognising his yeah. dynasty. Anyone who's a threat to him is also part of these treaties. And another treaty that again has another underlying theme of trying to stop pretenders and again to recognise his own dynasty. The Scotland treaties. Yeah, so again, the old alliance, he is aware that Scotland could be a really big threat to him, especially with Perkin Warbeck floating around because Perkin's been to Scotland quite a few times and the suggestions that James of Scotland is starting to ally himself with it. So Henry needs to nip that in the bud. Because he marries um, his cousin, doesn't he? He does. So Henry needs to nip it in the bud. So what he do- does he do? He signs a treaty with James in the Treaty of Ayton in 1497 yeah and that's following on from battles that have happened yeah and, you, and the cornish rebellion so um henry feels like i've got to do something about yeah, it yeah really Let's need get to a treaty fix signed. This. and he he does make it quite a significant treaty because it's a marriage treaty between his daughter margaret and the king of scotland which yeah. is huge yeah so it's really good in terms of scotland actually recognizing the tudor dynasty in that regard and brings peace really it does and then you get a knock-on effect whereby there's a kind of confirmation of this peace with a treaty which is perpetual peace yeah in 1501 yeah so again we can see that um undercurrent again in these treaties yeah yeah real yeah um okay so the question then so we've done a bit of a rundown Mm -hmm. in terms of his foreign policy the question that we found um is from the AS paper in June 2016. And the question is... Henry VII's desire to increase international prestige was the most important motive behind Henry's foreign policy. Yes. So um, how would you approach that question? Well, I think, first of all, introduction, you have to acknowledge um, his situation, Mm -hmm. the fact that he's a usurper. Yeah. Um, perhaps why international prestige might be an important motive. Yeah, and I think it's you thinking about, well, what does prestige mean yes. at that moment in time? Is it recognition? Is it kind of glory in battle? 
because that would probably be what nobility and most kings would assume prestige is as a military victory mm-hmm. um so you've got to acknowledge whether or not that is what henry the seventh would have wanted in terms of international prestige yeah so but the idea being that is it the most important motive for it is you're going to have to assess all the different reasons why he did certain things i think as well if you've done your revision you probably think no mm. it is easily no it's definitely not it's more a defense isn't it mm-hmm. so you might address that as well in, in your introduction that whilst there was some prestige elements really that is not henry the seventh's main motivation yeah um so that will also be reflected in in terms of um your argument that it's going to be more one-sided indeed so let's start with the argument then of the idea of internet uh, international prestige was in fact the most important motive what's our primary first bit of an example for that so possibly um the marriage alliances are possibly the most reflective of achieving prestige because he's getting alliance with other international countries are far more established than he is yeah and that's part of this idea of prestige is recognition um and him being a usurper by getting these marriage alliances it essentially recognizes his legitimacy as a european power yeah which is what he needs because he's a usurper yeah so you could talk about the medina del campo in particular i mean that's probably the the main that marriage alliance would really. be the main one you could um, but bring... then you've also got um margaret I was going to say the Treaty of Aiton with Scotland, uh, whereby he marries his daughter off to James, obviously James of Scotland, they're always called James of Scotland, um, which isn't as much for recognition, but rather defensive. Um, Now, if we go back to our question and look at it, of the idea of international prestige being the most important motive, that leads us to our evaluation of, well, where else is he defensive? Yeah, so you would say carry on talking about a um being more about defense and say well that's because of perkin warbeck yeah and again you know as we spoke about earlier of a lot of these treaties have these little clauses that are about pretenders and you could bring in the medina del campo and say that a big part of that treaty is not to identify with pretenders yeah and also treaty the tarpals Indeed, yeah, of the idea of that's not just about the pension, it's also about not recognising those pretenders, which again is defensive. Yeah, and again, I guess, like we said before, uh, you've got Treaty of Windsor, and um, whilst Earl of of Delapole? Earl of Delapole. It's Earl of Suffolk, isn't it? It is. Um, He is not a pretender. But he is a threat but to is a threat. So it, the idea of recognising... Yeah, so remember that you can use treaties for both sides of the argument as long as you're willing to balance it out and push forward your evaluation. Yeah, and make sure your evaluation justifies where you land on, yeah. on either side of the argument. So you've got a number of treaties there to show it really isn't prestige, it is really much more about defence because of Warbeck. And I guess to go back to the Treaty of Atarpals, you could also follow up the evaluation of it's more about defence because he's prepared to give up land when previous kings would, would like jump at the chance to keep it. He's prepared to give it up for a pension. So really he's all about security. Mm-hmm. He's all about as much money as possible to make sure that he is well defended. And as a response to that, the nobility were really, really unimpressed with him and just thought, well, you've just lost an opportunity there. What, what prestige have we got as England? And you could reflect that i guess in terms of when henry viii becomes king because mm. they're really annoyed with the fact that there's been no glory on a military yeah. basis so in terms of those treaties he really isn't looking at prestige at all no but if you wanted to try and balance it you could say you know to an extent perhaps right at the beginning he does try and prove himself on a military basis 
Um, so going back to the idea of perhaps international prestige was a motive at the very beginning um, in terms of the Brittany crisis. Because he'd be seen to be rescuing this young girl whose father's died and he's got that sense of responsibility towards because of where he was when he was in exile. So in a way, him going out there and getting soldiers, getting a, a treat, um, some tax. Yeah, and I think having a go at the French yeah. would also be that element of prestige of actually taking them on to begin with. Yeah, and the ability might have been like, oh, here yeah. we go. And, and then he doesn't He do basically legs it with yeah. money. Bags of money. He's like, that's all I wanted. That's gents. Sorry. Gents. Moving on. We. We, we. So that would probably be all you've got. You've got the marriage alliance with Medina del Campo and you've got a little bit of motive yeah, in as, Brittany. As evidence of your international prestige being the main motive. We talked about on the other side that it's primarily defensive and we spoke about the idea of pretenders and the threat of pretenders and we also spoke about the Treaty of Atarples. But we've also got a secondary focus and motive in his foreign policy which is trade that challenges that question yeah so you've got trade so what would you use for that uh well you've got your intercursus magnus and your intercursus malus and you've also got things like the treaty of windsor yeah try to tie into the intercursus malus. <laughs> yeah and they all just are motivated again about trying to create an economy he yeah. even does that um act that stops wool going um abroad. the exciting trade. I know. Um so he is obviously motivated by having an economy by having some money going through. Yeah, and you know, you've got prime opportunities and I suppose the the trade itself then ties into national security as well as we spoke about at the very beginning. That's the reason it's one of his aims is by having a stronger better economy, he is more stable at home. Again, so it's defensive, it's national exactly. security. Um, so I think we've probably covered everything you would need to mm. in this answer. I mean, as we always run through these different kinds of arguments, um, you wouldn't necessarily have to do it in this no. exact order. But I think you get the gist that you, you need to look at... There is an argument. There is certainly an argument. You've got some elements that might suggest prestige, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's defence and it's national security that is driving Henry's foreign policy. Yeah, and I think you get this idea that the prestige side to it is a consequence of where he's been trying to be defensive or where he's trying to build up trade. It's almost like a happy coincidence that he gets prestige involved with it, like the marriage alliances. I don't think he's necessarily going out there to try and get prestige or yeah. recognition it's an it's, added bonus yeah it's an added bonus for him yeah yeah exactly so that would probably be where your judgment would lie that um any prestige is a happy coincidence yes yeah, it's secondary to national security indeed yeah right well there we go that's that essay so let's do a bit of a question i think what are you gonna ask me well henry the henry the seventh everyone loves him everyone loves him clearly because he's so exciting um I don't know whether I'd I go that far. I think it's very true. He's a very frugal man and everyone loves that. Okay. Yeah. So I think maybe everyone likes him in terms of revision. Okay. Say our friend Henry VII mm. is coming round for maybe afternoon tea. That would freak me out. He's dead. It's creepy, but he's coming round. He's okay. not bringing in anything because he's a cheap man. He's not going to bring his own biscuits. What are you going to serve him? Um, well, you say he's frugal, so it has to be something that would be on a budget. Mm-hmm. So perhaps a no frills custard cream. And really? Like, and like I throw a, it at him. Own. I throw like it at him. A, you frugal so-and-so, you've come here to my house to have some tea and biscuits, and you don't even bring the biscuits. Enjoy this own brand custard cream. If I don't think he'd bring you anything. But I know, you I, just he, said I know, that. but he would, if he were to bring you something as a present, what would it be? 
He's got to get through probably the, the own brand right. custard creams that I gave him in the first place. He's returning them to you. Because he's so tight. Yeah, true. And they're probably stale and oh, horrible. You've really annoyed me now at the prospect that he might come for biscuits and then not actually bring any biscuits himself. He's frugal. I mean, that's he's a good a miser of, king, isn't he? That'll definitely be a way of remembering him. Own brand custard creams. Yeah, and his foreign policy is a bit like that as well. Certainly wouldn't be bringing them himself. Mm, there you go. They'd right. be a, a gift, probably, that he'd pass off his own. That's or he's gone, you know, scraping through bins trying to find. Um, is, it, is that too far? That's too far. Mm. Well, on that note. Well, on that note. Good evening and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>